Well, hello there. This is going to be the first edition of the Cutting Room Floor Post Sermon Podcast, or whatever you want to call it. This is just simply an opportunity for me to um, take whatever notes I had from the week and weeks prepping up into the message and and um, lo and behold, whatever I did say on Sunday wasn't the full extent of all of my notes, which tends to be the case, a little bit of over prep, but hey, I like it. Um, but the reality is, I always find myself in the sermon and after the sermon going, man, I wish I would have said this. I wish I could have said this. Or then there's times in the sermon where I start talking and then an idea pops into my head and, and it turns into like this little drop down box and my, then my brain and can play the choose your own adventure game. And next thing you know, I'm kind of off on a tangent and, but you know, I trust the Lord that it's all good. But this podcast is an opportunity for uh, me and for you to kind of get supplemental information that didn't get into the sermon per se. So that's, that's, that's the heart of this, and um, and I'm just going to be honest on the forefront. There's going to be no frills to this. It's not going to be a super polished editing podcast type of scenario. So if you're used to excellent podcasts with high production value, this will not have that. This is me, an untechy guy, coming up into the office, pulling up QuickTime's audio, hitting record, and just talking. So that means I will be flipping my pages, opening up different windows and things that you can't see. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to unpack some of these things. So um, without wasting any more time of setting it up, we started a series here at Austin Oaks Church um, called More Than Enough. In this whole fall, like we said this past Sunday, is that we are focusing on enjoying God. Like, how do we enjoy God? And it's a weird question because a lot of times I don't think we really think about that because we don't equate church as something that we always enjoy, or at least culturally, a lot of people don't think that's that's what church is. But the beauty of it, when we understand grace and we understand God's desire for us, is that he actually does want us to enjoy him. And in fact, um, when we understand grace and we understand to even like salvation and eternal life and all these types of things, like my goodness, he, he calls us friends and um, the friends that we have are friends that we enjoy. So he enjoys being with us. And so we are looking at certain topics. We've been digging into the Holy Spirit and um, introduced a series this past Sunday on how giving allows us to enjoy God. And, and that is a little bit of an ironic statement because we don't typically equate giving um, sacrificially, tithing, offerings as something that would lead us to enjoyment of God. Um, but that's the problem. That is exactly the problem. And it is also another indicator of like why this is so important because it's like when we talk up or when we talk about giving, like for instance, there's initial fear within the the pastor's heart, like, oh my goodness, we're going to talk about giving and here's all the things that people are going to think. But at the same time, it's just like, I think we need to, in in the congregation, like ask these questions about why, why don't we want to hear these questions and, and what what is it that feels so offensive about it? And granted, yes, they are charlatans and false teachers and people who manipulate scripture and principles in order to get dollars out of your checkbook and um, all sorts of things. And so that's why this is an important thing, because when we actually get to the heart of it, 
it has nothing really to do about dollars. It just so happens that giving is probably one of the most concrete expressions of our love, our trust, um, our gratitude. It's it, it's a clear indicator of how we understand grace because you, you cannot help but read scripture. And when people are giving and when people are tithing, when people are giving offerings, it's in an extravagant display out of grace. And so that is something we have to wrestle with, which is which is quite okay. So some of the things that um, we didn't, I didn't quite get to, um, and, and this is not going to be, again, like I said, and this, I, I don't need to keep repeating this, but like, um, like this is not a super well-polished thing. So part of that also means like there's not a real polished document that I'm working through. So it's not like a good speech or sermon and the flow of all those types of things. So I'm just, just letting you know. Okay. So nonetheless, stop with all these disclaimers and you're going to get to notice how truly hyperactive I am and how my brain jumps around. Okay. So one of the things that like always fascinated me about um, movements of God. I like, I'm a, I love studying revival history. I love studying church history. Um, and I love to, to kind of like, just like see themes and things like that and kind of thread it together and ask the questions of what are common, common, um, attributes or, um, things that were dominant when this would happen. And there's always like prayer is one that always just like screams that, that one is like absolute front and center people praying, longing for God to know God, interceding, all those types of things. But we also see as part of that process that people are praying, their hearts are opening up. A posture of prayer is always something that causes us to humble ourselves before the Lord because we're recognizing our weakness before the Lord. So there's prayer. And out of that opens up that door of like experiencing grace. Prayer always helps us to kind of like wade in the waters of grace. And when you start to do that, like you start to experience the 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 goodness of God, the faithfulness of God and the generosity of God, you get to experience the delightfulness of God as it were. And and then you just want to start to give. It just it's a natural byproduct. The gospel is a generous message. That's I mean, just think about it. Like we don't deserve to be pursued. And God God like has like in, in Philippians 2, he's emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself to take on flesh, to come here. God sold the world that he gave. All of it. Like you even go back to Genesis chapter three, like when Adam and Eve like sinned and rebelled and created this chasm between heaven and earth and us and God. And what did God do? He immediately made a way. He pursued them, called them out and restored a relationship. But like, think about it when he saw the fig leaves and he's like, Hey, you know, who told you guys were naked? You're like, you know, we did essentially. And then he had to essentially kill some animals and to clothe them. So like, I, I see that as a posture of giving because it's like, he created these animals, they're his and he's doing it. Anyway, that's a whole nother deal. But what was fascinating as I look at history was like, you can just look at some of the documents that the, that we have, not just like church fathers, but even like um, non-Christian historians and leaders and influencers, philosophers, and you read some of those documents about their observations of Christians. And it's remarkable 
that you see humility as one of the top virtues. You see a willingness to love their enemy, to lay down their lives for other people, a, a, a diehard allegiance to Jesus is is another document. Like they really see themselves as citizens of heaven and as foreigners on this earth. That is one that's marked out. But then what you clearly see time and time and time and time again is their posture of generosity. So I, I wanted to read just one um real quick. This this is a letter to Hadrian and Hadrian um like this is how he the author I, I, I Forgive, I don't have to forgive me. I forgot the. No, no. Here we go. It's Arist, Aristides, the philosopher. He made a writing. He wrote this letter to Hadrian, the king, on behalf of reverence for God. So he he's writing to Caesar Titus Hadrianus Atonius, venerable and merciful, from Marcianus Aristides, an Athenian philosopher. So what we technically see is Aristides, you're going to have to forgive me if I'm butchering his name, is it's technically not a believer. He's just writing in reverence of, of God and, and making an observation of these Christians to Caesar Titus Hadrianus Atonius. Okay, here's what he says, quote, and they imitate God by the philanthropy, the philanthropy which prevails among them. That that's a fascinating line. They imitate God by their giving. Philanthropy which prevails. It prevails among them. For they have compassion on the poor. They release the captives and bury the dead and do such things as these. Like we're going to see a little bit later when he says and bury the dead. He said like there was in reference to if there's a poor Christian family and someone died and they couldn't afford a burial, the Christian community would pay for that burial. And they would do such things as these, which are acceptable before God and well-pleasing also to men, which customs they have received from their forefathers, speaking of Old Testament practices, but also like the early apostles. And he who has, I love this, okay? Remember, this is an Athenian philosopher writing to Caesar. And he who has gives to him who has not, without boasting. They don't do it for recognition. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, which I just mentioned, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. In other words, if they're able to pay, let's just say, like a bond, they get him out of jail. Um, it, it, if you recall, when we had the Timothy series, like we mentioned that prisoners, especially Roman prisoners, they they need like people on the outside to provide for their resources, right? And that's kind of what he's talking about here, and which is really an unheard practice if you weren't like close family. Okay, back to the letter. And if there is any among them that any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast for two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. So if they saw a brother or a sister with no food, that individual would fast 
for two to three days so that they could provide then for the one who didn't have food. Isn't that mind-boggling? This is the early church when Rome was still Rome, right? They observed the precepts of their Messiah with much care, living justly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. Every morning and every hour they give thanks and praise to God for his loving kindness toward them, and for their food and their drink, they offer thanksgiving to him. There's a, there's a whole bunch of these that are out there regarding the early church. It is just beautiful. And so when we talk about moves of God, like generosity is so visible. Like, I mean, here's a guy who has the ear of a Caesar. And like, if you just notice, like he just called out, look at these things that they're doing. And in fact, later on in this letter, he, he's just like, like, these guys are different. We should respect them. Like, they don't do anything that is really um, uh, um, deserving of the persecution. <laughs> like, they're coming to their defense based upon how they live, specifically their generosity. That always makes me just go, man, church, like, what if, like, we would never, like, it is such a foreign thing for us to even consider fasting for two to three days so that someone else in our community can have what they need. And and so this is, this is not just this random time in history. I mean, this is the heartbeat of the kingdom of God that radically changes everything. It's like if we are a new creation, if we've moved from death to life and now we are living in eternal life, like connected with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit living within us and we're to embody this kingdom and everywhere we go, like we have to ask the question, why do we not bring our finances that God has entrusted to us into kingdom life? Like, why do we struggle so much to keep that one on the outside of kingdom living? And yet we'll try to keep, we'll do everything else in there, but let's not deal with the money. And it, 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 I believe, this is just my opinion, that Satan absolutely loves to make Christians, the church feels absolute contempt when it comes to giving. It loves to make the church, I believe Satan loves to make the church feel absolutely annoyed and irritable when giving is talked about in the church, because I believe he knows that if the church is generous, it's because that God has the church's heart. And if God has the church's heart, well, the church will humble themselves. They'll use the gifts that the spirit has given them and love and joy and power will be moving forward and the kingdom will be pushing back the darkness. Like, and it will be a sweet aroma to those who do not know Jesus. They will see a renewed humanity, which would resonate deep with inside of them. Uh, so there's concepts like that, man, where I think we, at, as a church, and I'm not just saying like Austin Oaks Church, like our church has been, for the like most part, the story has always been one of generosity. And it's great. But we also have a new segment of people in our church that aren't part of that story that we want to bring into that story. So if you do have a Bible, if you want, I want, I want to call out Acts 2.42 real quick, and I'm going to take a sip of coffee. Told you, unedited.
So Acts 2, it's a story when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, right? It's, it's Pentecost and tongues are there. They're speaking in foreign languages and people who've made the pilgrimage into Jerusalem for the Passover and for the Pentecost festival, like they're hearing their native tongues. They come and they see Peter and these folks with this little flame of fire and this crazy wind and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, what's going on? And, and then Peter moved, filled by the Holy Spirit, speaks boldly and confidently, essentially like Jesus is the only name given to us by which we must be saved. Repent, believe in the good news. What you're experiencing is what's been foretold in Joel chapter two. This is the fulfillment of these prophecies. You know, he's he's been crucified, but he's raised again and now he's ascended. And all of a sudden, like we see thousands of people um, putting their trust in Jesus as the Messiah. And then we see this little glimpse of how this new community of 3000 plus people are now living. Okay. Like we have to, this is the fastest church growth movement ever. And how did they live? What did it look like? That's important. 42 through 47 of chapter two, you see this, they devoted themselves. They were dedicated just kind of like what like the letter to Hadrian was noticing about their commitment. They were dedicated. They, they, they gave themselves, they were devoted to, to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship community was massive to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they would be with each other. There was great fellowship and they prayed with each other. This is like all sorts of different facets of worship, all the things. In in 43, shows us the byproduct. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. And so they were all together and had all things in common. So there's this uncommon unity that is very unique. It, it, in fact, there is no other unity like the unity in Jesus. They sold their possessions. Like, imagine what would that look like today church like i well i do we even like would we even like consider that you know like when we do like i don't know let's just say a campaign of some sorts and we're looking at man we got to raise this and this because we do believe that what this is going to do is going to achieve more kingdom growth like would we consider selling possessions like, you know, or, or would we even consider fasting two to three days in order to supply the need for where there's lack? Like they, they were selling possessions. Now, like this wasn't like just giving up Starbucks. Okay. Like for some of us, that would be very hard, myself included, especially with inflation. Like we could probably give a lot of money if we gave up Starbucks, I mean, now it's like a black cup of coffee is like 350 or 375. And, you know, like add that thing up over days and weeks and months. But I digress. This wasn't small possessions. This wasn't like taking, you know, clothes from your closet to a consignment store and trying to get some profit like that. No, this is like selling property selling land, selling homes, selling <laughs> fields. Like th that's pretty, that's pretty intense. 
something had to have grabbed their heart. Like this is not worldly giving. And this wouldn't be contempt giving. Like nobody would sell property if they had contempt to give. If they were like, ah, I don't want to give to the church. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're giving to the church in Jerusalem. They're like, we need stuff. We have thousands of people who are now who are now saying yes to Jesus, and they're going to stay here in Jerusalem because this is where the heart of Christianity is for the time being. Like, there's no like churches and other resources all over the nation, like the um, Europe or the Middle East at the time. It's just Jerusalem, and so like they're going to stay there for a while. So they need resources in order to do what they need to do. And some of these resources, yes, 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 they paid the apostles for sure. We see that in New Testament. Like, we're going to unpack some of that. That next Sunday, but like the New Testament's very clear. Like, hey, those who teach, they should actually get paid double wages. Like, they should be paid a lot. Those who teach, um, Paul in Corinthians, like, don't muzzle the ox. Like, this is how they live. They make their living off of the gospel. In other words, by being professional. <laughs> I shouldn't say professional. That's a horrible word to use. But like, like pastoring in our modern context. They were selling their possessions and property, and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, which tells us also they gave with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all, all the people. So generosity in the way they lived, their unity was on display, but it wasn't per se that. Like I always like to go deeper. Like, okay, so if they saw this, what is deeper? And what is deeper is they saw a community that was unlike any other community. They saw kingdom people. They saw the kingdom of God and they gave favor. Some didn't enter into it. Some didn't trust in Jesus. Some did, but they didn't say, oh, look at the, like the persecution was yet not to come to the early church. Praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number, those who were being saved. So beautiful beautiful dedication commitment joy sincerity generosity and it's not just acts two this continues after um after uh, i think peter and john were arrested in acts four they go back to the church and they tell them what happens and they're praising god and then we see another snippet of a very similar thing now it's probably more people um <laughs> And, and probably even a little bit more intense generosity. Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. That's a great statement and a great principle for us to learn. Everything we own was given to us by God. In fact, like if you if we want to say, oh man, look, I earned this. I, I earned this. You go back to Deuteronomy. I can't remember exactly what chapter it is, maybe seven or eight, somewhere in that ballpark. I want to say, I'm leaning towards eight, um, where it's like, don't forget. Or, now, I hate, I'm not quoting verbatim. This is me um, summarizing, okay? <laughs> so just go with it. Um, that God was the one who gave us the ability 
to earn wealth, right? So it's like whatever we have, it's his. Even if so, for us to say I earn it, so therefore it's mine. It's like well. It's gifted to you because the ability to earn whatever you think you earned, God gave you that ability to do so. And, and so like, I love that, that piece there. They're like, listen, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Like it's, it's not just mine. It's actually like used to, to steward. Like, yes, God has given me the things to enjoy. Like if I'm living in, in, in a generous posture, like I shouldn't feel guilt. I shouldn't feel like I can't enjoy what I have. But I'm not going to hang on to it with a closed fist because it's not mine. If I can sell it or to let someone else use it to help them, like awesome, because it's not mine, right? So they saw it that way, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus and great grace was on all of them. Grace is the thing that moves people to be gracious, which is a sweet way of saying generous. For there was not a needy person among them because all who owned lands or houses sold them. Again, again, a property sell-off. Oh, that, that's challenging. You know, like, surplus of vehicles. I mean, we have, we have so much. We have so much and like i'm I'm not just like you know hey george you just like i'm i'm feeling it myself i'm like wow okay you know i we as a family need to lay into this ourselves we don't have other properties but just saying like we have a surplus of possessions and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles feet which is saying they gave it to the church they entrusted it to the leaders that they they submitted to the leaders and believed and trusted that their hearts were submitted to the Lord. It's a beautiful picture. That's that idea. They laid them at the apostles' feet. They gave it to the church. This was then distributed to each person as they had need. The church was different than it is today. Sooner or later, within the course of history, they started to have facilities, et cetera, et cetera. Now, just it's just really sweet. Like Joseph, a Levi from Cyprus by birth, one of the apostles called Barnabas, he sold the field he owned and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And if you go to Acts 10, like I love this, it talks about, actually, let me pull this up. I'm gonna pull this up. Acts 10, let's see if I can find it quickly. Yeah, here we go. Um, Acts chapter 10, verse one. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, a centurion <laughs> of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God among uh, feared God along with his whole household, and he did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people. And he always prayed for God. We would call these um Gentile God fears. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, or said to him, Cornelius, staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? Now, this is the part that I love, because what we see here is actually a snapshot of what our giving is like in heaven. Your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Our offerings, but in our prayers, 
are a memorial offering before God. Like, could that be like part of storing up rewards in heaven? I mean, like this is an like this is pleasing to the Lord. This this delights God's heart. It in 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 what recognized here, like Cornelius wasn't a Christian at this point, but somehow he was responding to the Spirit's prompting and leading that he was giving, which was a reflection of his heart. It's beautiful. And then lastly, like I'm going to just out of the New Testament, just looking at these radical movements of generosity that is part of the gospel, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is where we're going to camp out this coming Sunday. But I just want to read the first seven verses. Again, coffee drink. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, verse 1, about the grace of God, that's important, that was given to the churches in Macedonia. First of all, who are the churches in Macedonia? It's um, the Church of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. The grace of God that was given to these churches. I mean, the grace of God is the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus, new life, the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, and also the opportunities to give, right? Okay. During a severe trial brought about by the affliction, okay? So the churches in Macedonia were absolutely destitute. Romans, um, they, they were always, okay, I'm um, trying to look at my notes and pull things out of my head at the same time. Like the, they were, I, I want to say their wealth was in mining. I'll, I'll let you know for sure on Sunday in like silver and things like that. And Rome took all that stuff over. Their fields were absolutely destroyed and there was massive persecution. And so like these churches were absolutely destitute. They were poor, poor. They lost their jobs and, and they were very, very much hated by the Romans, not just necessarily for being Christians, but also just because they're kind of Greeks. And, and so like, there was a lot going on in this area during a severe trial brought about by the affliction, that word they knew that that was like code word. It was a common cultural term of the current event news that was happening there. It'd be like us learning about and hearing about wars in different countries. Okay. So it's like brought about by the affliction look at this, their abundant joy, overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty. These two things together, first of all, ask the question, where does that come from? How can you have abundant joy in extreme poverty under mass persecution from the, the means regime? Like Rome was not nice, right? Like, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the grace of God. The grace of God. Poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This is a reference to this is how this these churches were prior this collection offering for the church in Jerusalem. He was saying like, this is part of their pedigree. They experienced the grace of God so much that they were overflowing with joy that they were, they were over like in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
Now, obviously, they're not giving like high, high six figure, eight figure donations. No, that doesn't matter. It's not so much of like the actual amount. It is in proportion to to whatever income they have, but also like if it's desirable to their heart, they gave to that. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, woo, folks, according to their ability, be like, yeah, I can give 10%, I'll be fine. It almost feels like even beyond their ability, like, yeah, but we're going to do 60. It's like, yeah, but what about, what about, they're like, don't, it's like, wow, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. Almost seems like Paul wasn't going to ask them, in which I would say he probably wasn't going to because he didn't want to make their financial situation any worse but they were begging us let us join you we're we're fine we're good we got god's grace he's going to take care of us come on we can we we want to give right they were begging for the opportunity to give i mean that'd be a crazy thought that like right when the service starts at 10 35 the church is like hey pastor stop we want to give I wouldn't even know what to do in that moment. That'd be kind of remarkable. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we hoped. Hmm. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord. There, there it is. We talked a lot about Malachi. I'm not going to hit too much on that now. When God says like, hey, I do not change. Return to me and I'll return to you. And Israel's like, well, how do we return being a little defensive and he's like well does a man rob god but yet that's what you're doing well how have we robbed you and they're like and god's like well in your tithes and your offerings bring the whole tithe 10 percent, into the storehouse into the temple into the church right and then like see if i will not flow throw open you know the blessings from heaven and, and what we talked about is it's not really about the 10 percent it's what that 10% represents. And it re represents the relationship, the heart, because the first thing, what God really wants is not 10%. What he really, really wants is them to return to him. And that 10% was a clear indicator that their hearts weren't there. And Jesus said the same thing, where your heart is, is where your treasure is. You can't serve two masters. You'll either serve one and hate the other, right? So I love that Paul says this, like they, they gave, not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord, not to the church, not to Paul, not to, not out of compulsion to please people. They're like, man, no, we're going to do this because we love the Lord. I love being in friendship with the Lord. I love the grace of God. I'm giving myself to him and then to us by God's will. Like, that's what happens, right? You, you start to join, you partner with. So we urge Titus that just as he had become, we would also be complete or also complete among you this act of grace. And so out of that, he tells them like, hey, church in Corinth, you excel in everything, so many things. See to it that you also excel in this grace, this gift of giving. Beautiful. And that, what I wanted to say here is just going, how does a church like Mas churches in Macedonia do this? Why would they do this? You, no one else would do this. Something has to be evident. And it's the kingdom of God.
grace. This is why generosity is a hallmark, is a visible, tangible hallmark in the moves of God. And it's not just in the Bible, it's actually consistent in the Old Testament and consistent in every church movement that has true revival fruit. You see it, generosity is evident. Okay, there are over 700 mentions in the, in the uh, I wanna say in the Old Testament, yeah, no, in the Bible, 700 times, over 700 times that the word offering is mentioned. It's important to God right? It's because it reflects the heart. God owns everything. He doesn't need our tithes and our offerings. In fact, you hear him say that many, many times. I do not need your sacrifices. I do not need all of these offerings. What I want is your heart. I want relationship. And so you got to ask, like, could it be that maybe, maybe the, the concept of tithing and offerings is simply a way of protecting our relationship with the Lord? Like, could it be that as we have our hearts connected and in love with God, responding to the grace of God, that not only do we grow in our relationship with Jesus, but also we live like Jesus, pushing the kingdom back? Because when you start to live a life of giving, you stop kind of looking at yourself and you start to see people. And that's where we can start to love God and love others, love your neighbor as you love yourself, pray for your enemies, love your enemies, like live, build the kingdom. Like, man, it, it really does a lot in the church. A generous church is a powerful church in so many ways, but there's, different things connected to that because it's like you can still give you can give and you could have really bad intentions like you could have the wrong motives of of giving you know and and so what i want to do real quick is um talk about the like i want to talk about like you know a little bit again like why do we tithe or how do we tithe um, why don't we oftentimes tithe all this kind of stuff in, in just like, also I want to hit on real brief, briefly, cause I wasn't able to unpack it as much as I wanted to that, like the notion of is tithing just an old Testament thing? Because like, I even use that argument in my early Christian days of going, no, we're under grace. So we don't need to. And it's just like, you know, you do whatever you want, whenever you want. And you don't want to do it under like law or be a legalist and all that kind of stuff. But it like, when I started to wrestle with that, what I discovered is it's just simply me trying to find a way out. Like I, I don't really, really want to give. And so let me try to find a way to not give. So that that's, a, we got to be very careful on that because that's not okay. You know? So if we think about, um, giving just like real quick in the old testament giving was actually in practice before the law was even given it, it like it, you can make a case that the concept of giving offerings was very much in play with cain and abel right and, and you see that play out you see it play out in Genesis 14 with the, the priest from the like Melchizedek, 
which I'm not going to get into um, because I, we would be here all night, day, whatever time it is. Um, but Jesus in Hebrews is connected to that order. And Abraham recognized something and Abraham gave a 10th to Melchizedek. And we see that 10th even play out with Jacob. He does it in Genesis 28. In fact, if you look across the ancient Near East, um, at that time, 10% was a standard practice. Um, so we see the tithe uh, is a practice in, in paganism. So it wasn't a form, it wasn't new. It wasn't new with the law. It was kind of already embedded in humanity. And then you go to Matthew 23 when um, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he's like, you know, woe to you this, like you tithe a tenth of your spices, you know, but you've neglected the weightier things or the more important things like mercy and justice. And then he ends up saying, it's like, you should have done the latter and not have ignored the weightier things. Like he didn't say like, don't tithe. You know, you say, no, you should have tithed and done this. And then some people have the temptation to say, well, that was Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Well, you should just follow that logic for a moment because he also told the Pharisees in that same line to do justice and to be merciful. So he's saying that to the Pharisees. So can we hold that same logic and say, well, the tithing piece he's saying to the Pharisees, but the mercy part applies to it. No, like they all apply. It, it applies. He's not eradicating. He's not saying don't tithe. He never said that. He, Luke chapter six, he says, give, give, and it shall be given to you. That word give in that phrasing is actually an imperative. So it's like, he's saying give. Okay. So it's like, we cannot just simply say that giving is an Old Testament thing. I think what it, what it is with people is that 10% is a trigger for them are like, no, that's legalism. We don't want to do that. And you are absolutely correct because the New Testament does not tell us to give 10%. And here's why. Because the New Testament assumes that 10% is the starting line. Because the New Testament is going to be people reacting and responding out of grace. So there's an assumption that giving will actually be far above and beyond the 10%. And so they don't want to put a standard on it because human nature is, I'll go to the line and I'll go to the standard and no more. But that is not the heart of grace. The grace does not say how far. The grace does, grace does not say, well, how many times should I forgive my brother? Right? Like, come on. Like, we don't do that seven times jesus uh, can i forgive someone seven times because that will really push my my limits he's like no how about 70 times seven in other words like yeah to infinity and beyond thank you buzz Lightyear. same thing with giving that's why we don't see it new testament don't lower doesn't lower old testament standards it raises them you know you heard it said you know do not murder your don't, don't murder but if you hate someone in your heart you're guilty of murder you know you've heard it said you know you shouldn't commit adultery but i tell you that if you lost someone after someone in your heart you've committed like it, it raises the standard because we live on a on a different side of the cross and jesus in those teachings wanted to show the depths of the depravity in our heart but now that we know the goodness and grace of god we we should be like yeah of course i'll give 10 percent. why wouldn't i give 10 percent? i want to live a life of giving so i want to open it up like in acts 2 and acts 4 and acts 10 like man i, I don't want to put a limit on this like if i sorry i just hit the mic if i 
if 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 necessary i will sell my second home if necessary i will sell this the third car that i don't need if necessary i'll sell that i'll downgrade whatever it's like god has to have our hearts like this and and, and we don't engage it because man like gosh church this is so hard and i'm like challenging myself too because it's like does he really have our hearts does he really have our hearts man like when jesus in luke 16 you know if if you can't be trusted in the little things money how can you be trusted with true riches and we have to ask ourselves like really what what is it that we really want what we what do we really want i'm not going to talk too much now about like why don't christians tithe um you can go to the sermon on that like there wasn't a whole lot that i want to unpack on that um it's pretty it, it was pretty quick um, but I wanted to, um, let's see here, like briefly, cause I'm going to probably say more about this the next two Sundays, but, um, we talked about blessings, um, yesterday, but yet I didn't fully unpack that. Um, but just real quick, here's, here's some of the blessings, um, like one, like, um, a blessing of righteousness is one of the blessings that we see in scripture. Um, which is like, you know, like living in the freedom and the Christ consciousness and, and living as if you're not under condemnation because you're not, but it's also the fruits of following Jesus and the new creation, um, all sorts of things that, that is wrapped up in just that simple phrase. Um, and yes, like I said this on Sunday and I want to say it again. Yes. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes the blessing that comes with generosity is uh, financial. You cannot ignore that. Scriptures do teach that, but it's not always financial. It's not always promised that. We have a good God who knows what is the best gifts to give, what the bless, best blessings are. So we, we should ask. We ask in humility and gratitude. Uh, we don't want to find ourselves in discontentment as we ask for, because Paul says in Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain that is the best gain to have and so paul even said in philippians 3 or 4 um i think it's more i've learned the secret of being content right like you know i know how to be content in a, in a lot i know how to be content in a little because i've had it both and the secret is this i can do all things through christ who strengthens me so yeah it's okay some of the blessings is financial some of it is material um and if we just were to be honest like we are pretty wealthy just because we're americans okay so here are some of the other like real practical blessings of tithing it actually helps us to bring discipline into our finances we've been given a spirit of self-control or discipline right like it's important it helps us to set budgets it helps us to um, track the money which is all of this is like discipline in our finances is a high value of stewardship know what you got know where it's going um, all that kind of stuff because money never stays just letting you know money's always leaving it never wants to stay with you um it we it just think about it like if you want to go on a diet or like, no, 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 let me rephrase that. If I want to go on a diet, I, it, this actually doesn't really help. But if I start working out again, if I start working out again, that helps bring discipline into my diet. 
because I don't want to waste, right? Like I don't want to waste this workout. So I'm not going to keep eating the way that I'm eating. It'll actually motivate discipline into our diet. So if you start to tithe, 10% and you start to be generous, like it, it will bring discipline into how you manage your money day in and day out. Okay. And another blessing that it does, it actually brings God into our finances, which is really good. It allows us to bring everything into alignment with who we are in Jesus. He's in control. He's the giver of these gifts and allows us to do that. And then it also brings freedom. It brings freedom into our finances. Like how many times do you like, I, I experienced this a lot as a pastor, like I'll bump into someone it maybe they got like a new car or a new toy, whatever it is. And they're like, oh, you know, no big deal. It's kind of a small thing. I kind of like did it. And they're like feeling the need to justify it. Like if you are tithing and being generous and the Lord has your heart and he's in your finances, enjoy it. Like you have the freedom to enjoy things. Church, we don't need to justify good gifts. We don't need to feel this unnecessary burden weight of guilt when it comes to the things we have definitely don't it brings freedom into it one of the ways i used to say is this like you know you like you give to god and enjoy the rest right like and that the lord wants us to enjoy what he has given us okay so it brings that kind of freedom into it because i actually actually think that a lot of that guilt is one just there's this like mentality in the church that we we shouldn't have things it's bad it's bad to have these things you know but uh, like the other part is um it actually when we feel guilty or justify the things that we have i think it is actually a um test a testimony of our hearts not being generous so i think there's two things there you know so it's important but also a part of malachi that i was wondering because one of the blessings he said is that the devourer I will block the devourer, in other words, like pest and pestilent, pestilence and insects from eating the crops. And, you know, like, what does that look like? You know, but I digress. I'm not going to unpack that. I want I want to wrap this up. Um, so I want to let you know that you can give and still miss these blessings because of the posture of the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 6, okay, you can invalidate the blessing, acts of righteousness to be seen by others, right? You you give and you want the applause, you're going to get the reward that you you are seeking, the praise of people, right? That's that's not good. You, you, you want the reward in heaven. You want the reward from God. You want the pleasure of God, not to be like, look at me, look at what I gave. Even Macedonia, it's like, man, they, they, gave, they didn't want anybody to know what they were doing. Or even the net, the writings from Aristides to Hadrian, it's just like they do it without recognition. They're not boasting in this. They don't want necessarily plaques and all these kind of things. You know, I gave this. No, 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 no. They 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 wanted the reward from heaven. You know. So do you want recognition of people, or or praise from God type of deal? You know. A, another um, danger um, that we have to ask is: it is possible to give ten percent and withhold your heart still from god and, you know it's kind of like that story i shared on sunday where it feels like i'm paying off the mafia like i i gotta give to pay off god so i'm good right so he doesn't come after me you know it, he he wants the heart we can give without the heart and next 
Sunday, we're going to talk about that. Like, don't give reluctantly, you know, be cheerful in giving. Um, that's a great word. I'm not going to share it right now, but I'll let you know later, but it, it's, it's great. So there, there's some things that we can do to actually invalidate the blessing, you know? Where do you want your your recognition? What reward do you want for it? You know, and are you just trying to buy off God? Are you uh, trying to manipulate a principle in order to get what you want? And that's not necessarily like what the Lord might want for you and others. And and there, there's another reality that we need to embrace is that sometimes God puts us into a time of financial testing and sometimes seasons just happen but there's always good that comes from these times of testing. Who do we trust? Because generosity and giving is a way of saying, I trust the Lord with my future. And just because there's a time of lack or struggle or um, short um, money in the account, that does not mean you should stop giving. You know, and I think that's, if we stop giving unless the Lord somehow makes that clear to you that that you know thumbs up go for it like to stop giving I think is where the test needs to reveal that I'm not maybe trusting the Lord in this you know like no it's a concrete expression it's a concrete expression of our love gratitude and trust um, so whole bunch of things that are there I could I could keep going but I'm not going to um, so it's kind of ironic. I didn't think that I would talk that long, but I did. And so there you go. This is our first installment of the cutting room floor. A lot of these things were very much wanted to be unpacked this past Sunday, but it didn't happen. Um, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Um, we're going to be digging deep into 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And it's going to be a really beautiful, beautiful uh, passage. It's encouraging and yet challenging. It helps us to see Jesus, see the heart of God in ways um, that we wouldn't expect through our finances. And so thank you so much for engaging and listening. Um, I am not, just letting you know, I'm not going to put this onto the responsibility of other pastors. If they preach, they can do it if they want, but it will be primarily after me preaching. So there you go. Um, be blessed and see you next Sunday.